On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about Hamilton's Commonwealth Games bid, as in, where is it? What's happened to it? It seems to have gone into some kind of limbo. Is it moving ahead? We're going to talk to the guy who is the bid committee chair. We're also talking about the Edmonton football team in the CFL. They have got their finalists for names to replace the old one. Seven names up for grabs, up for voting. Uh, None of them. Good. We'll, we'll discuss that. And we're going to talk whiskey. There is a bottle of whiskey that the LCBO is selling for $85,000. Is it worth it? Well, probably not, but we'll find out. We'll talk about it. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It's been a while since we've heard anything about the Commonwealth Games, about our bid or possible bid here in the city of Hamilton. Uh, a bid for either 2026 or 2030, or even we heard the number of the year 2027 thrown out as a complete curveball a little while ago. This week, we heard that the bid is in abeyance. Hmm. All right. What does that even mean? Let me bring in Lou Fraporti. He is the chair of the Commonwealth Games bid for Hamilton. Lou, how are you tonight? Thanks for doing this. I'm well, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Now, when I see something that says the the bid is in abeyance, that sounds like a terrific lawyer term. And since you're a lawyer, I will allow you to explain what that actually means. Where is the bid right now? Well, I'm going to plead guilty to that, Scott. <laughs> that was um, your word? <laughs> uh, well, it, it's quite literally that. Things are on hold from our perspective, pending uh, a clear and more formal declaration to us from the province as to his as to their appetite to go forward at all. And that really was a function of the events that led up to uh, to Christmas in terms of our meeting with the Premier and, and, and how we were invited to move the matter forward. Uh, and then, of course, the holidays uh, and the break and COVID, the pandemic uh, and all that. And uh, we decided at the beginning of the new year to reach back out uh, to inquire as to the status of those discussions uh, and in my speaking with representatives from the ministry, uh, resolved after a few conversations that, that we thought it best that the province uh, take it in and formally make a decision. And if it was to say no, then say no, and we can all move on. And given all that's going on, we felt that some clarity and certainty soon was in order. Do I not recall that when the meeting was held with the province, because there was some discussion that uh, it was, I, I believe Donna Skelly, some comments were made and there was some uncertainty and then you guys all went and had a meeting with the province. Do I not recall that at the end of that, there was a huge sense of optimism among you in the in the committee and all others that this was going to get the thumbs up? It, it, I recall that. Am I wrong? No, there, there was a huge sense of optimism when you're invited to meet with the Premier directly about something. Of course, there's reason to be optimistic about that. And it was a very positive meeting. Uh, that meeting resulted in the Premier directly putting someone in charge of, of working through this process with us, Commonwealth Sport Canada and the Federation. And it was um, that, that leadership and having a specific process by which there was going to be consultation that led to a lot of optimism. Uh, and then I think, you know, the world just turned upside down. The pandemic continued. The shutdown worsened. Uh, leading into the new year, the province understandably just simply couldn't commit the time from our perspective to make a decision about that. Uh, and things, I think, with, like with the rest of the world, um, are in a state of, of flux and uncertainty. And uh, not that we're not optimistic, we remain optimistic, but clearly all that's going on has changed the complexion of things. And expectations around the government being able to make a decision about an event as far away as, as the games potentially 
um, in these circumstances is a great deal to ask, and, and, and we're having to be realistic about the capacity of, of government to make decisions of that type in these circumstances. Okay, and, and that makes perfect sense, that we, we do understand that there are other things happening in the world. We're not in a vacuum here, but are we not getting to a point that a decision is going to have to be made reasonably soon? Well, that's a very good question. I think uh, w- one of the great um, insights, uh, y- you know, in recent events is that things that we thought were a certain way and had to be done in a certain way are, are just incredibly disrupted and having to be looked at differently. So normally the cadence of making decisions about the games would oblige a decision this far in advance. We're seeing uh, so many changes with multi-sport games in terms of event timing and, and organizations having to pivot on short notice to make immense changes that the question of when a decision uh, would have to be made is very much up in the air. We don't have an answer to that question except to say that in our discussions with the province, the Federation and Commonwealth Sport Canada, we're of the view that we could put on an event that made sense economically in terms of its impact on, I'll call, relatively short notice. So we would have, I think, several more months, I think, before decisions would need to be made if, if it came down to that. But no one, certainly in, among the Hamilton Organizing Committee, wants to be uh, held up in the air or have the community essentially suspended around a decision indefinitely. And some certainty um, at this point, I think, is in everybody's interest. And even if it's a no, I mean, one of the discussions that we've had is in the event that there isn't another host city that steps forward in the next few months and, and there's an opportunity to think carefully about this and folks are prepared to revisit it, I think everybody is open to the conversation. Nobody is foreclosing it indefinitely. Um, but I think it's a time to be flexible. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lou, just before the break, I said, are we not in some kind of tighter time frame? And the reason, I mean, that obvi- that's an obvious question. We're not, the, the plan, as I understand it, is not certainly as majestic as Olympic Games or something where there's endless construction and all the rest, but there's still an awful lot. If you were going to hold a Games for getting a committee, an organizing committee and volunteers and selling tickets and on and on. And on. There's a lot to do if you were going to put a games together, even if it's smaller than it might have been. The, the, the stuff that you just mentioned is stuff that, that can be organized and dealt with um, much farther down the road. The stuff that takes time is the large infrastructure stuff. If you're building a big, a big arena, if there's transportation infrastructure. And one of the nuances of this call, which is really important to remember, is that this wasn't a bid in the sense of us having to compete with other communities. We were given the flexibility of creating something that made sense when it is that we had a green light to proceed. And that, that is a sliding scale. If there's a path to uh, approval, we could downscale the games further potentially uh, and ensure that most of it fits within existing facilities, be very, very modest in, in, in what we're wanting to create so that there is enough time. We have the luxury of being able to do stuff that we know can be done whenever it is that we were to get the green light. And that's one of the benefits of this. Um, you touched on though, one of the things, Lou, let me, you jumped on, you touched on one of the things though, that's been a real, I think, bone of, I don't know if it's a bone of contention, an object of interest, even among counselors and the, and about the other communities, not pitching for this so far. And there has been questions asked about if this is such a desirable games to have, where are the other cities that are lining up for this? And, and they still, I don't think are, why not? Well, I mean, I think this this has been batted back and forth repeatedly. I think there's a few answers to that. First of all, multi-sport games, as they've been traditionally held, are very expensive and difficult to produce. And one of the things that we wanted to do uh, in this is to entirely revisit that 
making it much more private sector oriented, making it much, much more modest, more focused on things like affordable housing. That's innovative and it's new, but historically, clearly an issue to COVID and all the disruption that's been going on now for well over a year, the uncertainty around the Olympics. Montreal just pulled out of contending for, for the hosting of the World Cup in 26. The, the, the sort of uncertainty that this creates makes the, the property, if you will, a challenge to make decisions around. And all of that is understandable. You know, we understand that Victoria has been um, talking recently about potentially coming forward for 26, but the shutdown and pandemic has, has created some uncertainty around that. So, you know, it's understandable in the world that we live in that there's, there's going to be a challenge in mounting a games like that. We felt that Hamilton was uniquely suited with the, with the entrepreneurs and, and uh, creative people in the region to do something thoughtful and modest and, and uh, regenerative. And we, we maintain that, whether or not somebody else is interested, we are. We think it would be important for our community. One of the other issues, and maybe the biggest issue that has been talked about with a, a bid here is the, the price tag, that we don't really have a full price tag. Now, as I understand it, the bid committee has said, well, to the city and to the province, you have to tell us if you're in so we can develop what the price tag is going to be. And the city and the province have said, well, you have to tell us what the price tag is going to be in order to decide whether we're in, which kind of takes us in a loop. How do we, how do we come to the idea? How do we figure out finally what it's going to cost so that everybody can decide if it's going to happen? Yeah, so that's not quite correct. Actually, we came up okay. with a revised hosting plan and a budget for that uh, with respect to the infrastructure that's required. And that information is publicly available. It was given to government. The price tag was a fraction of what we were proposing for 2030, which was incidentally approved. Um, and that's available. What, what hasn't been quantified or budgeted yet is some of the operational expenses, security, those sorts of things, which require consultation with government. So the, the, the infrastructure and hard costs we have budgets for, we spent an enormous amount of time with consultants creating new venue plans that are smaller than would normally be the case, much more modestly priced. And we communicated to the city that we would not be asking the city of Hamilton for any money in relation to these assets. Um, and of course, you know, we're, we're notwithstanding that much of this rests with the province, not with the city. The economics of the games, uh, from our perspective and what we've created is very, very attractive and reasonable. We just haven't got to a table yet in, in which we can conclude the budgeting. How do we get there then? I mean, whether we're going to move ahead or not, there has to be a decision at some point. We have to reach a point. So how, do we just simply wait on the province and wait on the province and wait on the province? Yeah, well, I think that's, that's where my letter comes in. Uh, and that's simply to say, look, this is an important issue for the community. And I think especially now, given what we're all coming out of, I look at Birmingham and see the several hundred million dollars in investment recently for the games in 22 and all the jobs and infrastructure that's created there and wish to God we would have that here in Hamilton. And we'd like a decision, but we can't dictate it. And it's with the province. And if, if they, given all that they're managing, don't have the time right now to, to bring clarity to it, we hope that they will do it as soon as possible. We don't want to waste anybody's time. And, and if we're told no around 26, which would be understandable, disappointing but understandable, we have a 2030 bid that we have to compete with the world around. And we'll be about the business of ensuring that we win that um, <laughs> uh, however many years from now that, uh, that, that appears. You have moved into this role full-time now, correct? Well, not, no, not really. I, I, okay. I'm, I'm fully responsible for it, but I have a day job. And like everybody else okay. that's been working on this bid, we're, we're community volunteers. We're not doing this for any compensation. We're doing it for love of community and games, and, and that's why we're in it. 
It is, uh, it is the ongoing conversation. I, I assume it'll still be going on because we don't have a decision yet. Uh, Lou Fraporti, we'll be hearing about this one. Chair of the Bid Committee, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate your interest. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to bring in our friend Steve Foxcroft. You see him working the sticks on the sidelines of the Buffalo Bills games and working as an off-court official with the NBA and doing all kinds of other stuff and commenting on sports on various outlets all over the, well, I was going to say all over the world, at least all over the region. How about that, Steve? I have a question for you right off the top. Okay. Are you going by, is it Scott? Like, do I address you now as Scott or the Oracle, the Futurist, (laughs) the Prophet? What are you going by this week after? I know you want to talk about this. When you last week talked about Patrick Mahomes Mm. and it came true, just like you said. So, do you prefer if I address you as the Oracle now, or, or is it Scott still? What was what was the name that Johnny Carson went to? Karnak. You can go by oh, Karnak. Karnak the Magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've got the big thing, the hat on. And uh, you know what? It was, uh, I make very few predictions that are remotely true. In fact, I predicted the outcome of the game on Scott Thompson's show, and I got that entirely wrong. I mean, completely whiffed on that one. But uh, no, you... what, what Steve is talking about is that I had said that I believe that Patrick Mahomes is the most overrated player maybe in all of sports. A very good player, an excellent quarterback, but the descriptions of him and the overhyping of him to the point where they're describing him already as one of the all-time greats, I said, was ludicrous. And Steve, you know what? In that Super Bowl, when his offensive line was a little banged up and suddenly a few of his all-pro players didn't catch every ball, he looked very much like every other quarterback who is pretty good but you know what isn't perfect he looked very ordinary didn't he and there's he was so many storylines uh with the super bowl game itself but that was the one i kept thinking about i said scott is he's he's right on with this there is no way we should be anointing him as the next goat at not this yet point. not nope, yet not yet but you're right he's he's a good player and he showed glimpses of it too because sure like the way he got away, he ran what four hundred and twenty nine yards in the backfield, uh, scrambling in the game, and you know more than any running back for sure. But but he also delivered a couple balls from like almost underarm, sidearm. Listen, the guy's sideways. he's a very good player. No one is arguing. Like I don't want anyone yeah. interpreting this interpreting this saying that I say Patrick Mahomes stinks. Not remotely. Just let's settle it down a little bit and yeah. let's let him win three Super Bowls before we start even talking about him among the greats. But anyway, let's move along here because I, I don't want to gloat in my own glory too much. <laughs> you, so did, that's like, you didn't answer my question though. Is it Oracle or just Scott or well, you gonna, we got we to gotta come up with a term for you. You can just call me Mr. Radley for the rest of okay. the day. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's I'm good. kidding. You don't have to call me Mr. Radley. You can call me Mr. Scott Radley. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> To steal a line like from it. Steve Martin, yes. Oh, uh, okay, so good. speaking of football, Um, Mm -hmm. The Edmonton football team, until last year or the year before, known as the Eskimos, but they're changing the name because of the times, they have now come out with the final seven names that they are allowing fans to vote on. Now, they want it to be EE because they want to keep the helmets and the logo the same. So the, the, the team name has to start with an E. The seven names, Steve, that they have come up with, and I truly believe that whoever is in their marketing department ran into the wall head first and then came up with this because it the elk the evergreens the evergolds the eclipse 
the elk hounds, the eagles, or the elements? Well, I'll tell you what. I wrote them down, and I put X's beside the ones that you can't even consider. And the other part is, I understand there was over 12,000 submissions of different names, or obviously 12,000 submissions. Maybe there was a lot of duplicate names, right? But this is the seven that you come up with? (laughs) I know. I I got mine. I got it. I got it. How about, it it was the Edmonton Eskimos. How about the Edmonton Larry, Curly, and Moe's? It's, 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 the the names are so, the names are so bad. They're so bad. Are are you really in, in the stand? Now, one of the things you have to think about, and I know there's a couple things you have to think about marketing possibilities and that kind of thing, but they're not really thinking of that because they're keeping the same logo. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. So you kind of, and color. So eliminate that from the equation. If they were coming up with a brand new uniform, I would say, okay, you got to come up with something like a Raptor that you can really sell the heck out of to your people. You're not, you're, you, it's exactly the same. So then you're going, okay, people in the stands, when they start chanting the team name, can you really chant, let's go elk? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's let's go Evergold. I mean, there's Evergold. There, there could be no less terrifying or intimidating chant you could ever possibly have. Let's go Eclipse. I mean, <laughs> that, some of these, well, I told you, I put X's beside them that I eliminated. And, and then you have elk and elk hounds. Like, it's yeah. almost just like you've taken it and they, they took your advice there. They say, oh, we can't, it's hard to say, let's go elk. So let's just call the elk hounds. Let's, let's go elk hounds. Like, at least that has a bit of a ring to it. And the one that I checked, those are the three that I checked off. I actually checked off elk hounds as, as doable. And then the other one that I just think is just too easy is eagles. Because it's sort of a football name and it's so just normal, right? Well, there's a million teams. There's a million teams. Uh, Now, my choice, and you can't do it because it doesn't start with an E, but in in the most CFL thing possible, I would have gone with Rough Riders. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now, with a a hyphen or without a hyphen? One word, two words, how would you do it? Let's make it a three word just to branch out somehow. I don't know how you do that, but... Um, you know, the, 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 I mean, if we're going to stick with the, the, the Edmonton earache, I mean, it would be no less stupid. Um, I like that one. How about this, the, like, I'll be honest with you, the Washington football team. Now this goes against the double E though, but for now, just the Edmonton football team with Washington, it kind of caught on with me a little bit. Like I'm okay with the Washington football team and, and with the soccer, that's what they call everything nowadays. Right. So maybe that, but but that goes against the EE. You can't, and it's not one of the seven finalists. So I don't know, but the Edmonton Eclair, the Edmonton Eclair, you name them after a baked good. And then you sell Eclairs at all the concession stands and make a trillion dollars. And, and you would have another Tim Hortons field, probably Tim Hortons field. The second, like you did get the uh, Tim Hortons to sponsor at Commonwealth stadium. You could change it to, Tim Hortons field. And then of course, then they'd call it the coffee grounds and then sell coffee too. Okay. So the elk, the evergreens, the evergolds, the eclipse, the elk hounds, the eagles, all stupid. But the last one, I don't even understand. I mean, I know what an element is, but how are you naming your team after the periodic table? The Mm -hmm. Edmonton elements. It's, Big X beside that one, right? Like, because how how can you even consider that? The fact that that made a final list of seven, I think is, I'm beside (laughs) myself with that. Unless they have some major sponsor from a pharmaceutical company or something that wants to have some chemical name. (laughs) 
Yeah. Anyway, let's take a break. Uh, while people at home ponder these ones, elk, evergreens, evergolds, eclipse, elk hounds, eagles, elements. Which one do you think? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I came up with two during the break because it has to be EE, Steve. One, which I actually think would be a really cool name for a football team, would be the Edmonton Evisceration, which, you know, would have that that intimidating thing to it. The other one, less so, but probably given to it by fans of other teams, the Edmonton Enema. Ooh. <laughs> and they'd have a good front line. <laughs> And All right, let's line. But uh, how about the, the I I like the one that didn't make the list, the escargot. The the escargot, yeah. The escargot. <laughs> They're delicious and yeah. uh, and also very garlicky. Yeah. Um yeah, the Ben just whispered in my ear back from the station the executioners, which mm. probably would have been a name you could have considered about 20 years ago, but now yeah. I think some people would consider that in poor I don't know if they'd consider that yeah. offensive, but anyway. Something to think about. Let me uh, Radley at nine hundred chml is my uh, is my email. So if you're out there and you've got a good e word mm-hmm. that could work for the Eskimos better than any of these loser names they've come up with, I mean, boy, if they don't change any of these, if they obviously Steve, they're going with one of these because they've probably already got the patent on it and they've already whatever. But my goodness, as you say, and, just, and I understand uh, they're going to announce it this Sunday, like Valentine's Day too oh. is the final thing, and they're going to announce it then, so you can sit with your your sweetheart and and in Edmonton and say, Oh, this is what we're doing. But let me ask you this. I liken this a little bit and we're of similar vintage. So I want to see if you're this too. When Sky Dome was named, I remember when Sky Dome was named, everyone hated it. But then years later, when they changed the name, I was, I was a Sky Dome guy. And when they changed it to Rogers center, I couldn't call it Rogers center. So they, you I remember that? that naming. Yes. I remember the naming. I remember some of the names that were thrown out there. There was, um, uh, home tea, dome tea, uh, was one of the ones that someone, the condome, which was for con Smythe, they said, which I thought was very funny. Uh, that was never going to last. Uh, there were a million of them. Like it was a huge yeah. naming thing. And the person who, remember the person who had their, who came up with Sky Dome and there were like a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. One of them was drawn and won tickets to every event for the yeah. course of their entire life. Um, right. Which was I wonder, I wonder if they lost those privileges when the name changed. Don't you know. never know. And so my point of bringing that up too is in 20 or 30 years when we're still talking, does the name that they come up with, is it a household name that you'd never think of changing or you'd never think that it could be anything different? Well, if they call it Eclipse, let's say, if they go with Eclipse, what'll happen is some little kid in Edmonton, the next time there's an Eclipse, will look straight at the sun and burn his retinas out and sue and say that name yeah. told him to do it and therefore the name has to be changed again. Look, it, it, which sounds ludicrous, you don't think it could happen? Uh, and no. I'm being I'm being somewhat facetious, no. but you don't think it could happen if you call your team that name? Uh, the the I mean, who knows what else? But the other one, I, I'm guessing, if I had to go with a guess here out of the seven, I'm saying they're going to go with Evergolds because it fits with the red blacks and it's gold and it's whatever else and it's Ooh. benign and it's inoffensive and, you know, it, it, I mean, it, it doesn't do anything for anyone, but no one's going to get upset by it. Who can be upset that at was, a color? Yeah, that will be my third choice. I'm saying, I am leaning towards that they're going to pick Elkhounds. You know, the elk up in that part of the country and everything and the hounds and so on. I just think elk hounds. Um, or just eagles, the plain Jane eagles, which yeah. 
I think well, the elk hound. I had to look this up. The elk hound is a is a Nor, the, the Norwegian mm-hmm. elk hound. It's a breed of dog, and it looks a lot like a husky. And so you're not even really talking about elk anymore. You're mm-hmm. talking. I mean, so I, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. You know what though? And we, we only have a minute or two left here, but we're talking about all this free agency in the CFL open today. We're talking about naming, right? Do you think, do you really believe there's even going to be a CFL season? We have viral variations and we have vaccines that aren't coming out fast enough and we've got lockdowns still. Do you really believe there's going to be a CFL season this year? I really think there will be, but it might have to be a shortened season. It might have to be in a bubble I, I I think they're going to play. Somehow they're going to play. It's just a matter of bums in the seats, right? And I don't think there'll be spectators, which I know financially is very, very troublesome for the CFL. But I think they're going to find a way to, to get, overcome that, work as partners. And when I say that, the owners and the players, and they're going to be able to somehow put something together. I think it's just too too valuable. Now, us here locally, the Grey Cup is... That's the part that really uh, I'm afraid of too, right? We need our Grey Cup, and boy, it'd be great if we could have people in the seats. I mean, is it even worth having a Grey Cup? And I, I know the folks at the Ticats office are going to, you know, grit their teeth and clench various body parts when I say this. Is it even worth having a Grey Cup if you can't have a full house there? Right. Or do you and say put it off for a couple of years and we'll co- come back around to us when we can have a proper great cup celebration. Yeah. I think that's what's going to have, have to happen if we're in that stage, right? If we can't get, even if they can start to play games without fans and then have some fans later on and even a great cup with some less, less capacity or something, but then award the great cup right back to Hamilton kind of first opportunity you can in the cycle. Like I think they've done that in other sports now with, with things right they've altered it and and like tampa bay is a is an area where they're getting events again right away so because they couldn't have them but well, i think that's what they have to do circle we got to go but circling back around to the super bowl uh i i do I, I do regret that this was the year this was the first year ever that the home team made it to the super bowl in the city that was long before chosen as host and you can only imagine what the what the party and week in Tampa would have been like had it been a normal time when you could have right. anyway they they miss, hopefully they get I'll, another chance. I'll leave Tom Brady's this um, four championship a city with four teams playing in the last game of their respective sports uh, games like they all played the Lightning and the Rays and all that. I don't think that's ever happened or will happen again. <sighs> Spoiled, spoiled. I'm telling yeah. you. Maybe we can get Tom Brady to come up and play for the Tie Cats at right. some point, and then we can win. Okay, Mr. Scott Radley. Good to catch up with you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Steve Foxcroft. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Do you like Scotch? Do you like whiskey? Got eighty five thousand dollars lying around, burning a hole in your pocket. Well, I then have just the thing for you. The LCBO right now is offering up a bottle of Black Bowmore DB5 1964 Scotch Whiskey. $85,000 is the asking price, plus, as someone pointed out, the 20-cent bottle deposit. (laughs) Because you don't think they could just waive the 20-cent bottle deposit once you've dropped 85000 Anyway, uh, it sounds like a lot to pay for anything, let alone a bottle. 
Is it? Or is this one of those things that, you know, it's just so special and so rare that it's like, I don't know, 85,000 is a lot to pay for a diamond. But if the diamond is good enough, then it makes some sense. Well, what do we think about this? Davin de Kergamo is the man behind the Canadian Whiskey website. He's the founder of the Canadian Whiskey Awards. He has written about whiskey and scotch for years and years and years. He joins us now. Davin, thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Scott. I'm thinking about that 20 cent bottle deposit. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a bargoon, my friend, because that thing is in a, a, is packaged inside a piston from an Aston Martin. So you could probably get more than that for the scrap metal. I would but, think, uh, <laughs> it's just at 85,000. It's like, really, we're going to charge you for the bottle now too. Anyway, <laughs> I, it, it does seem to the average person and maybe not even just to the average person, it, it seems I'm trying to think of the right word, um, excessive. Would excessive be a good word for this? I mean, it, it seems a little crazy. Does it not? It's, uh, I think it's outrageous, uh, quite honestly. Uh, I mean, that, that's, first of all, that's very good Scotch whiskey. I've tasted it many times, gone through quite a few bottles when it, when it was $165 a bottle. Uh, that was 20 years ago. But um, honestly, uh, it, it, this is just outrageous. Uh, I don't think they actually you know, intend to sell those bottles. This is just to get people like you and me talking about Bullmore. And of course, then they then they sell their you know their their less expensive bottles because people realize they can't spend eighty five thousand. It's great well, whiskey and everybody loves it. But honestly, let's say two hundred dollars. Before we dive into this bottle and this whiskey and why this one is getting so much attention and whatever it might be worth, um, it does seem as though whiskey drinking is kind of having its moment right now. Though you know, cigars a few years ago was a thing. Everybody had to smoke cigars and was a cigar expert, and we had cigar aficionado magazine everywhere. It seems like whiskey right now is the thing. You agree with that? Yes, whiskey is is really uh, the the drink for people who want to first of all taste good spirits, but also appear to be connoisseurs. And this is the fa- the the, the bad drink right now it's very popular and it's very good uh but uh, yeah it's uh, it's the end thing it, it'll pass you do think it will pass and then it'll be people like you who are legitimately connoisseurs who will be left as you were not and, and again i don't think that's a small number but i mean certainly the number is way bigger right now yeah it's it, it's really uh, the growth in the last few years has just been uh, you know unbelievable it's really it's kind of stressed a lot of the whiskey companies to keep putting out good uh, good whiskey because you know the supplies are be, are becoming depleted. Japan, for instance, has pretty much run out of all its good huh. whiskey, you know, and they're now going to blends, which they do brilliantly, by the way. So uh, yeah, um, I, I think though that really, I mean, Bomar is is known for this. I mean, they they had a, I think it was a. $20,000 bottle of Bullmore stolen from a store in Edmonton and it got them fabulous, fabulous uh, publicity. Everybody was talking about it. All the press jumped right on it. And I think all the brands are looking for a way to get the, the you know, the, the media to look at them because there is just so much competition now and so many new distilleries and, and each distillery is doing line extensions, adding more and more different bottlings to their, their line because, yeah, they can uh, they can sell as much Scotch whiskey right now as they can make. And it isn't just Scotch. Um, Canadian whiskey is going crazy. 
American bourbon is going crazy, and of course Irish whiskey is really doing brilliantly. So yeah, it's the it's the drink du jour, no question. Well, it was just a couple years ago, around Christmas time, wasn't it, that there was a Canadian rye whiskey that it was the the whiskey of the year, and all of a sudden you couldn't find a bottle of it anywhere. And then, of course, like three months later, there were four thousand bottles on every shelf because it, you know that moment had passed. But you're right; you get some attention. You can move some bottles. That's right, and you can move all the less expensive stuff as well. But yeah, Crown Royal Northern Harvest. Yes, rye, that's it. Yeah. I think it was about $35, $40 a bottle. And uh, people would go to a liquor store and buy all of it and then resell it for $200 a bottle. You you, you guys, you know there's more coming. You know there's more coming. And Crown Royal does such a brilliant job of blending their whiskey that you absolutely cannot find differences from one batch to the next. And sure enough, not before long, there it was again for $35 on on the shelves at the liquor stores. So, but, but yeah, but I don't know. I think people are afraid that they're going to miss out. But well, there's always a better whiskey coming. Davin, you know that there are also people who line up for five days before a new Star Wars movie, and even though we know it's going to run until there's no more tickets to be sold, so, you know, whatever. Um, but do you think that most people, because it is a bit faddish right now, even though there are people like you who have been doing this seriously for a long time, but do you think people are largely drinking it the way you do where you're trying to pick out the flavors and the the bouquet and all the other things that you're doing or do you think people are simply drinking it and saying you know what i i like whiskey and i don't really care what all the little nuances are i just like the taste generally i think the latter i think people are drinking it and enjoying it sometimes puzzled why people are so um, enthusiastic about it but yeah, it takes. I mean, whiskey grows on you. It takes a little, little bit of time. But I think most people are just enjoying it, uh, you know, and having a few sips. Uh, I don't think most people are trying to analyze it. I mean, and where do you start if you're analyzing it? You know, we we, we know if we like the steak, we say this is juicy and so on. That's good enough. We don't get into all the little details, and it's the same with whiskey. Well, and it's very difficult too, Davin, because I, I, again, I keep coming back, you know, people like you and, and I, I was looking at your website today and it's got amazing stuff on there that you've done all these tasting with all the notes, but for, you know, a rube like me who drinks it and doesn't have that palate, it's almost intimidating to talk to someone who knows what they're doing and can pick those things out because I taste it. And I've read some of these, not necessarily yours, but other ones before. And it's like, wait a second, I don't taste well-worn horse leather and, uh, and tree bark and, you know, hints of pine tar. I mean, I just, I taste whiskey and, and I'm, of course, you know, I'm somewhat being facetious, but it's intimidating to talk to someone who knows what they're really doing. Yeah. Well, I, I think that a lot of people feel intimidated and they really shouldn't because each of us has our own uh, experiences, tasting and smelling things, and we are not going to get the same flavors from one person to the next, we're going to get things that that, that uh, you know appeal to appeal to that, that they have experience with. And a good example would be you know if you're from the Amazon and you smell lemon in something, you think oh ants that smells like ants. You smell it in uh, you smell it in if you're from North America, you think oh that smells like lemon. Things like this, you know. So people uh, really do have different. Uh, experiences and they will taste things differently and i don't think people should be intimidated because the purpose here is to have fun to enjoy yourself Mm. this is just a drink 
it's not, you know, like rocket science here. Just enjoy yourself. Now, you know, um, I think that most people and most of your listeners, when they were a kid, if they walked into the house and their, their mom was baking bread, they knew before that screen door slammed that there was bread in the kitchen. No one ever taught them how to taste it or smell it, but they knew that. Yeah. I think that most people know what bacon tastes like. They don't need an expert to explain that to them. And it's the same with maple syrup. I bet you most people right now can just sit for a second and imagine what real maple syrup tastes like, and they can get it. And it's the same with whiskey. If you if you drink it and just are, are aware, you will be able to enjoy it, and you will be able to understand some of the flavors that are in there. You know, I, I ask myself, do I taste any nuts in this? Do I taste any berries in this? How about, you know, is there, a little, is there any kind of grain or grass or you think fruit, things like this? And, and, and it, you can do it systematically so that you understand it. But people, who, if, you, if you can't taste well-worn horse leather <laughs> in, 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 in your whiskey, there are two things. First of all, you may not have that much experience with horses. And secondly, it may be well-worn horse manure that the, the person who's writing the <laughs> notes is, is handing to you. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. there, there's an element of uh, showmanship in that, I'm sure. That's true. I've, I've never actually licked a saddle, so I don't really know what would be the, the comparison there. But I, I do wonder, I mean, again, looking at your website, it's very approachable. I can get into it and I can understand. And others too, there are other ones that are out there that are great. But have elitists and kind of like the wine snobs, have the whiskey snobs made it that kind of daunting thing to get into for some people? Um, they did for a while, but it is becoming much more democratized. And I think that some of the whiskey companies actually took the lead on that and saying, listen, this is not an elitist game. Yes, there are $85,000 whiskeys that we know no one will ever buy except to show off. Um, but and, they, and they've been saying, you know, what do you smell in this? What do you taste in this? Remember, this is your whiskey. You bought it. You drink it your way. Is it okay to drink whiskey with water? You're not kidding. You paid for it. It is. Ice? Yes. And you know what? Sometimes you can really enjoy like a glass full of ice cubes and, and just pour in some putty sark and sit in the deck and it can be wonderful. So, yes, I, I think that elitism has been deliberately, um, you know, called out by, by whiskey companies and a lot of whiskey writers. Oh, undoubtedly, it still exists in many places. And there are people who brag about having, you know, dusty bottles, bottles that no one else can get anymore. And, you know, but it's just... Um, um, I mean, there's that in, in everything. There are always people who feel better. I have a, I have been collecting whiskey for more than 25 years, and I have a practice now when a bottle reaches a $1,000 value just from sitting on my shelf, and I probably paid 65 for it, I break the seal so I'm never tempted to sell it. And, hmm. uh, and I, go to, I go down to Fredericton every year, and I always take five or six of my very rarest whiskeys and we pour these for people in a class that just raises money for charity. And so, so I think that the, uh, elitism is not quite as rampant in most uh, whiskey quarters as it is in, in for example, in wine. Hmm. People are learning to enjoy wine, too. Just, you know, I don't care if you think I'm doing it right or not. You know, if I'm drinking, you know, white wine with my steak and enjoying it, I'm doing it right. Yeah, if I like it, I like it, and that's that's good enough. Let's get into this eighty-five thousand dollar bottle. You said you've 
had some before you've had a bunch before because it wasn't always $85,000 a bottle. Uh, is it, is it not $85,000 worth good, but is it good? It is. It's really a very good whiskey. Yes. It's really uh, outstanding. It's, it's brilliantly made. This was made back in the days when they were allowed to add Paxaret to Scotch whiskey. Paxaret is, is a, just a, a concentrated form of sherry. And so it gives us a great, massively huge um, notes of, of uh, uh, like prunes and and, and you know, dark fruits and things like that. There's also in there, uh, and I'm, t- I'm saying this from memory, it's a few years since I've tasted it, um, things that like like exploded gunpowder and things like that, and some some really beautiful notes. It's rich. It feels good on your tongue. It feels it feels quite um, uh, heavy, quite weighty on your on your palate. Um, it, it's really a delightful uh, example of the real big sherry malts that you just can't get anymore. Um, it is, it's, it's described in the notes. It says that it's, it's, it's described as having a quote, deep obsidian black color. Now I'm not even sure what that means. I'm, ex- I'm just going to take it that it's a, it's a dark whiskey. Is dark whiskey always considered good whiskey or what would lead to that? Well, uh, uh, there is a, a myth that the darker the whiskey the more flavor it has soaked out of the wood. Black Bowmore is dark because they added a lot of uh, of spirit caramel to it. It has been artificially colored dark like that. And yes, it's black as Coca-Cola. Now, uh, uh, this this spirit caramel, by the way, is not sweet. You can't really taste it, but it, they used to use it all the time to make dark whiskeys. I'll tell you an ex- a, a joke that a friend of mine pulled once at a whiskey gathering. There was another whiskey out that was called Lock Dew, which also was black, just loaded with this uh, spirit caramel, very, very black. And my friend, uh, we emptied a bottle of Black Bomar, and he filled the bottle up with this Lock Dew, which was a cheap whiskey that everybody <laughs> was disparaging, and people were raving about it because it was poured out of a Black Bomar bottle. So uh, it get, it's, it, it's dark because they have added coloring. Does all whiskey, now this is 31 years old, this bottle that's going for $85,000. Does all whiskey improve with age, assuming the bottle is sealed? Or is there some that it does, it gets worse with age somehow, or, or reaches a point where the parabola starts to go down instead of straight up? Well, I think that generally speaking, it reaches a point where the parabola starts to go down. However, once it's sealed in a bottle, it does not age any longer it does not mature anymore to in order for it to mature it needs to have it needs to have uh, um, access to oxygen because a lot of that maturation comes from oxygenation uh, of um, various chemicals that are in the that are in the whiskey uh, so or oxidation of various chemicals so it doesn't really age in the bottle what happens in, when it's in the bottle is it gets more and more valuable as it becomes more and more rare but this has spent uh, uh, all that time in in barrels, aging in barrels at the warehouse in Bulmore, in, in a town called Bulmore, on the Isle of Isla in Scotland. And it, um, they, uh, uh, when it's in the barrel, it does soak flavor out of the wood at first, but after that it just starts to, you know, air goes in and out of those barrels because 
the barrels breathe between the staves. You know, the, the, the whiskey doesn't leak out, but air can go in and out. And as it gets cold, the whiskey, you know, alcohol contracts when it's cold. They used to make thermometers out of alcohol. And, and, and it sucks more air into the barrel. It keeps replenishing this uh, uh, this oxygen, which then reacts with the water that's in the whiskey to make hydrogen peroxide, which is a good oxidizing agent, which then oxidizes the ethanol and a whole bunch of other chemicals that are in the, 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 um, the spirit. And it, these, this creates a real abundance of flavors, and it, it's really quite good. And Bullmore's uh, spirit has a little bit of peat in it. It's not as peaty as, say, Ardbeg uh, or, or uh, Kalila or, or Lafroig, but it's, it, it, just, it really matures beautifully. And these whiskeys really benefit greatly when, uh, when there's a little bit of sherry in the cask. And uh, that's, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why this has turned out to be such a, a spectacularly flavorful whiskey. Now, I think that, you know, I mean, this whiskey is great for some really outrageously rich guy to buy, crack oh. open, and pour for his friends while they're waiting for their plane to take off. You know, but do you think that'll happen? I mean, really, if someone buys an $85,000 bottle of whiskey, if someone is out there who has so much money lying around that this is just, you know, haha, you know, whatever... Do you think they really will open this or is this, if someone were to ever buy this, this is the kind of thing that I'm buying this thinking it's an investment. I'm going to put it on the shelf and hope that in two years or 10 years, I can sell it for $150,000. Well, I I know of a case where there was a a bottle of Dalmore. I think it was 50 years old, which sold for an equally outrageous price. And that was sold to a really rich guy. And he and his friends didn't leave the airport before they had finished consuming it. They open it and pour it. But there's another bottle out there right now. It's on auction in Texas. It's an it's a an Irish whiskey, and the reserve bid on that is two million dollars. <laughs> two million dollars. Of course, half the money goes to charity, and that's what I think bottles like this are great for. It's for raising money for charity. But uh, as far you know, if somebody buys this hoping to make a a killing on it. I think I don't. I, I think it's kind of doubtful. I mean, these prices are up in the stratosphere now, and uh, no, the only reason someone would want that is to show off. We got to go, Davin. But just before I do, because you're you're the guy who's tasted hundreds of bottles of whiskey, hundred types of hundreds of types of whiskey. What would be based on you know how you compare one to the other and what's out there? Even if you had unlimited budget, all right, Davin. We've now given you the unlimited budget to buy. What would be the most that, you, that would be a reasonable amount that you would say is worth purchasing as a bottle of whiskey? What, what would be a number that's not crazy just for the sake of a number? What would be a number that you would pay? I don't think I could get more than about $650 worth of pleasure out of a bottle of whiskey. I, I wow. just I, I don't think I could spend more than that. And that would have to be something outrageously rare, like an old King Clay or something like that. But I would not spend much more than that. I mean, Whiskey, you know, an eighty-dollar bottle of whiskey is, is sublime. You know, you know, you don't you don't get that much more uh, by adding more. But I mean, for an occasion, it's wonderful to have it for an occasion. I have some some whiskey that I'm saving for my uh, for my daughter's birthday that are going, you know, they're quite valuable. But uh, we're going to drink them. We're going to crack them open, and she'll take what we don't consume. But you know. If I, I think really I'm more in the like three hundred dollar range, three fifty maybe for for great whiskey. 
It is, uh, that's remarkable. And in other words, uh, for those listening to this right now, you don't have to be thinking that you have to spend 300 or $400 on a bottle to have good stuff if you want to get some. Um, and there's from someone who knows what he's talking about for sure. Davin de Kergamo, who is the man behind Canadian Whiskey website. Uh, you can find, by the way, the, that website address, let me just pull it up here. You, you know it all. CanadianWhiskey.org is where you can find that one. And that would be whiskey without an E. That's S-K-Y, whiskey. Uh, go look that one up, CanadianWhiskey.org. And he's also the founder of the Canadian Whiskey Awards. And he's got books out. And he's a writer online. And he's a commentator. Thank you so much for doing this today. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. I enjoyed it. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.